The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi everyone, I'm Rebecca Lowe and welcome along to the Premier League on NBC podcast. Our way to keep in touch with you all and each other actually as we see out this most difficult of times. First of all, as we do every week, we want to send our love and our best wishes to everyone listening or watching and hope that you're keeping as safe as you possibly can. There's something else we must touch on today. It is the 31st anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster. Um, On this day, back in 1989, 96 people lost their lives. So our thoughts are, of course, with all the Hillsborough victims' families today, 31 years on, would you believe? Um, On the podcast today, if you're watching, you can see their lovely faces. Graham Lasso, Carl Martino, Robbie Musto, Arlo White and Robbie Earle. We're all connected through Zoom today as we have been for the last few weeks. Before we get into the real topic of today's podcast, gentlemen, we have something that we have not had in a few weeks. And that, my friends, is some real football news. <laughs> some breaking Brian. news. I know, although it's not fully confirmed, so it's not actually fully done yet. But Newcastle United look to be about as close to being sold as they have been in quite some time. Mike Ashley, everybody knows the owner of Newcastle, not the most popular owner in the Premier League, maybe the most unpopular, in fact, um, has owned the club since 2007, did actually put the club on the market to try and sell it back in October 2017. And there have been times over the last couple of years where we thought it was going to happen and then it fell away. Well, it looks about as close as it's been um, since he put it on the market. The price has been agreed with PCP Capital Partners, led by Amanda Stavely, for around £300 million. The asking price was a bit more than that, about £340 million by Mike Ashley. But with the coronavirus pan- pandemic, they do think that's, of course, had a significant impact on the value of the club. Just to give you a little bit of background, 80% of the club shares will be held by PCP Partners, um, which is actually the Saudi fund, PIF, controlled by Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Amanda Stavely is going to hold 10% of the shares, um, and it is expected that she will actually have quite a large role in running the club day to day. And then the final 10% will be controlled by David and Simon Rubin, um, who have significant property interests in Newcastle. They're billionaires. Um, they also own the race course there in Newcastle as well. So that's how, if it goes through, if it is ratified by the Premier League, that is how the new look Newcastle United will be presented and will be owned. Robbie Musto, I'm going to come to touch on this first with you. If you're a Newcastle United fan waking up to that news in the UK today, in amongst all the doom and gloom that everybody is facing, that, that's their chink of light, isn't it? Oh, it really is. I mean, uh, the excitement around the Newcastle area must be very, very strong. It's just that they have been here before, Rebecca, where they thought they were selling a club two or three times before. It never really happened. Um, I read the reports like you have, and you've just given all the information there. It does seem like this is very, very close, and it's absolutely the right thing to do. I think they all, I think, you know, Ashley wants to get out, has wanted to get out for more than three years now, and the club needs new direction and needs new investment. It's been hanging on in the Premier League, hasn't it? And they've been, well, they've, got, they've had good managers. Rafa Benitez was a great get to get him to, to uh, look after the football club. Defensively, did enough. Transfer-wise, did enough to keep the club in the Premier League. Um, I actually thought and tipped them to go down this season um, when hopefully we will finish this season. I think they're going to be okay now with the points that they've got. So it's absolutely what they need. The fans will expect investment, big money. And of course, it could be, could be big money, Saudi money. You know, who knows what they're going to do to this football club. But I think we all know on this call the potential of Newcastle United and the way that they will fill this stadium. But it's other revenues they've got to work on. Commercial deals, better sponsorship deals to increase the the revenue to go and buy some of the players that the fans want to see. So it's great, great news. Fingers crossed, I'm sure, for all the Geordies up there. Um, let's hope this time for them that it happens. Arlo, over there in the UK, listening to the likes of Talk Sport, Radio 5 Live, watching Sky Sports News, I'm sure we've had some Newcastle fans 
maybe on the phone, giving their first impressions of the situation. Can you share with us what you might have picked up on over the last 24 hours? Just so I don't think anyone wants to get carried away that, you know, uh, they've been, as Musty just said, they've been led to the water so many times, but, but been prevented from taking a drink um, because of previous deals, including this one, uh, falling through. This sounds as close as they've ever got, though. Um, but until it's signed, sealed and delivered, I don't think Newcastle fans are going to get carried away, although they probably are allowing themselves a little bit to think about what this might be like. You know, for Newcastle, I think the phrase addition by subtraction comes into it for me, for the, for the fans. Honestly, if Mike Ashley had sold the entire club for 50 quid to a, ch- a, a guy, a Geordie, a Newcastle fan who ran a chain of butcher shops, I think they'd be dancing in the streets of Newcastle, uh, well, obviously, you know, two metres apart, of course, because you know, he was so phenomenally um, unappealing and unpopular to, to the Toon Army. It just didn't get what Newcastle United and what the city of Newcastle was all about. And you have to hope that Amanda Staveley, who I, I, I understand will be in day-to-day uh, charge of the club, she has got more of a, a sense of what this is about. You know, it's a business decision as well. And they know that this is potentially a sleeping giant of a football club. You could get 52,000 people through the turnstiles week in, week out if you're playing good football and you're investing and there's an excitement, it will sweep through the city and and you know we've seen the two army travel everywhere around the country and they buy every bit of merchandise you can imagine so it's you know a lot of money to be made there if the club is run properly and it's engaged with the supporters you know what i'd like to see as well rebecca first up um, I think Spurs have reneged on the furloughing. I think Liverpool have. I think Bournemouth have. It'd be very interesting to see if, if you know, a first way of saying we're with you, we're with the city of Newcastle, we're going back on this idea that we're furloughing our workers and sending them off to the government for, for handouts. I think that would be a fantastic start, but it looks good for, for Newcastle fans on this. Graham, if you're Steve Bruce, what might you be thinking right now? Um, I think, uh, like everything with these sorts of deals, and we've seen it before, uh, Robbie Musto mentioned it, the amount of um, speculation around Mike Ashley selling the club. And and this is still at its very early stages. So I think most people working at the club or, you know, fans of the club are going to be very cautious in the way they approach this because they won't want to build their hopes up too much. But, But I think from Steve Bruce's point of view, it's clear that any coach wants funds to invest in the team. And... I disagree with Arlo slightly in the sense that I think the the club, you know, can make money, but I think it's a hard club to make money at because the the nature of of the economics, you know, um, you fill the stadium, of course, but you you've got, you know, you can't you can't expand in the way that the clubs in um, in different geographies can. Um, I think you have to be much more creative in the way you run the club. But if there's a lot of investment um, coming in from from uh, Saudi, then and they're prepared to write checks, write big checks, and not not look to see a return on that investment. Um, and certainly, in the short to medium term, then then obviously the club can can achieve, I think, some stability and and sort of start looking at its position in in the league. Now, you know, the other thing for Newcastle with me is that the history of the club and the sleeping giant tag is it, it almost holds them back. I think they they have to look at themselves as as a Premier League football club that is just about surviving and has done over the last few years um, and it needs that investment that quality and Steve Bruce will be the first one to be I suppose writing his shopping list um, but at the same time you know they'll be looking thinking well who, who, who are the right people both on and off the pitch that are going to take this club further and um, you know he's done well I think Steve um, you know particularly with the run of games that they had seems like a lifetime ago now doesn't it since we last watched the football match um, but it's um, it's a ve- it's potentially a very exciting uh, time for, for Newcastle and the whole area. Robbie Earl, um, there's a whole generation out there, probably two generations actually, um, since Newcastle won a piece of silverware. The first cup, I think it was, was it not? And I'll know about to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that's you know 50s or 60s, I want to say. Um, 60s, 60s, yeah. Mm. That's right. So so explain to the listeners mm. over here in the United States just the potential of if this takeover is ratified and if, as Graham talks about, there is a checkbook with plenty of checks coming out for plenty of players, just imagine for us what this club could look like. Instantly back, and probably the, the easiest thing for me to say is, 
to be a new top six. Newcastle United would be a top six team. Absolutely, no doubt about it. There are so many little things that you could do with that football club that could change. And the first thing you've got to do, and, and we call it Newcastle United, it's not been United for 13 years since Mike Ashley took over at this football club. There's been a separation between the, the fans and the ownership group. They've, they've not understood each other. Much like um, John Henry has gone in at Liverpool and understood the football club and has been part of it and part of the community. Ashley runs the, the Newcastle United like he runs one of his businesses. Just wants to make profit. If it just stays in the league. Robbie Musso talked about, I'll get Rafa Benitez. I'll give him no money. Our sole objective is to not be in the bottom three and that will do. Well, the potential of this football club, run well, with, with the right support, with the right money, is a Champions League finisher, is a, is, a, is a top six team, is a top four team. Dare I say it, right manager, right money. Look where Manchester City was first. A title winner. A title well, winner. You've got, everything, I, you've got everything you need. Gone there. Gone you've got everything you need in that football club to be <laughs> what Manchester City were before the money came in. Yeah, Rob, let me just, let me, the only thing with that, right, and I'm interested yeah. in what people, the guys think, it's okay to bring in the Saudi money, but financial fair play is going to stop them. Financial fair play, they can only spend what you make. They're not making the big money yet, are they? They've got to increase their revenues, their sponsorship deals, before they can start spending the money, because they're going to fall foul of the financial fair play rules. Surely that starts to come with better players, better business sense, people who are interested in developing the football club. Financial fair play, we know, is being challenged by Manchester City. We'll see what happens with that case. It could be very different. What I'm saying, Rob, is with the right amount of money, the right guy and the right support, yeah. You've got a football club that shouldn't be every season staying, will we stay in the league? I feel sorry for the Newcastle fans because we've all been there. We've all played there. It's such a brilliant place to go and play football. I did a, my top five list of stadiums to play for. Newcastle United was one of them. 50,000 people turn up whatever's been served up. I feel sorry for the US fans over here who we keep talking about Newcastle. They must scratch their heads and think, in the, in the time we've had a Premier League, Newcastle, they think about staying in the league. And, and I feel sorry sometimes for us that we're not seeing that team, Rob, the, the Keegan team, the, the time you run up on the go to the bus and there's all the fans outside and there's an excitement around St. James's Park that is bigger than Manchester City, is it, it, as big as, as Spurs, as big as West Ham. That, that's what we're talking at this football club, a club that has got the capacity to go into that top six and hold its own. Kyle? What is the perception of Newcastle United over here, do you think? Because Robbie L, I think, made a really good point there. There must be a lot of people scratching their heads when we consistently talk about the potential of this club. It's a great club, it's huge, it's massive. And they're like, yeah, but they're like 17, always 17. <laughs> so what is the perception of Newcastle where you're standing, representing this country? Well, Newcastle... Um is a lot like beans on toast. I mean, you guys keep telling me it's incredible. And it's, it's so bad. I, I don't understand how it's a complete staple. It is pretty windy country. up there. <laughs> well, honestly, you know, it's so funny. I was here in Earl and like, you know, I, I, um, I think I'm a perfect example of how um, is the disconnect. Because when I was younger, I, I, when the Premier League first became big in our country in terms of it was being shown regularly and, and, and kids could watch the games. Um, I remember, I mean, Shearer was one of five names you could just list immediately when you talk Premier League. And um, I remember David Ginola and that like huge comforter looking jersey that they wore that looked like a rugby jersey that we like, you just, there was so much about Newcastle that they were, you talk about like big six. In my mind, when I, when I grew up, Newcastle was in that in that discussion and every weekend I knew the stars I knew the stories I feel like we we keep trying to sell that 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 is still the case or that still is relevant and I I you know I obviously see the potential um one of my big fears is like listen the claps tonight for for all of the incredible uh, you know, healthcare workers will be a little bit louder up north because I think they'll also be the exit of, of Mike Ashley. But the big problem there is I, I just, I really hope they don't think that's a panacea. All of a sudden Mike Ashley's gone and this thing works because the reality is um, they will assign blame on someone new. Listen, fans, fans want to assign blame on someone when, when the things aren't going the way they expect them to go. 
I mean, Sunderland's a cautionary tale, even though it's up north and, and rivals, it's not the exact same thing, but you know, spending money doesn't guarantee success. You know, getting new ownership doesn't guarantee success. Getting rid of bad ownership doesn't guarantee success. So I think this is a positive piece of news if it comes through. I'm hopeful that Newcastle become relevant again because, you know, they, they, they are a sleeping giant. I do believe it in how much the fans actually care. It's just there's a lot of work to be done. And just kind of tangentially a little side note is like, you know, the FIFA Fair Play accounting, how does that work if they finish the season and revenues get absolutely crushed because they're, they're, they're not getting any of the gate anymore? So the, the ability to hit the ground running and rebuild by spending cash is not going to be easy for the new ownership of Newcastle. Uh, just on, on, on Musty's point about financial fair play, I, I think that's why Amanda Staveley is in the position that she's in. She comes from a very, very high-level financial background in the City of London, years and years of experience. So she's going to be in charge of the day-to-day -day running and adhering to any sort of rules and regulations that, that they have to do. One of the major issues they're going to face, um, which has been a bit of an issue over the last 10 or 15 years, maybe because they don't pay the money um, or the subsidies that you need to pay to get players from overseas to go out of London and to go north, like uh, the likes of uh, City Liverpool and Manchester United have had to do is attracting players to Newcastle because when you think about if you're Spanish if you're Italian you know the weather is a little bit harsher up there the wind does, is a bit icier up there and you are that sort of a distance away from where you perceive to be the centre of of the universe in England which is London so they're going to have to pay premiums to get guys to go up there whether that fits in with the model of financial fair play as well there are going to be some challenges ahead but as long as you get the Toonami on board and you show that you, you're willing and you're passionate and you share their passion then who knows it wasn't a team of absolute superstars under Kevin Keegan was it that went so close and look at the the wave of 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 enthusiasm uh, at that time it was it was intoxicating and it's unfortunately they just came up short but if they can get on that sort of wave again it's going to be a thrill ride. Although one, one last point for me as well in, in the, the one thing you want in your area in teams I would say Chelsea are just getting to that point local local boys academy mm. people from that area it's been a hotbed of talent from when we would go back to the Gaza days and the Waddle days and Beardsley before that. The Longstaff, the Longstaff brothers now are a good example of is talent in that area. If it's, if it's worked well, if it's kept up there, if, if it's nurtured through, they could have a great balance of good, experienced international professionals and local talent. It could, it could be really yeah. exciting. And, and the big thing, too, that you have to remember is I don't know if any, anyone knows this, the distance from the top of the stands. Sorry, amazing fact, right? Explain this, Kyle. You have to explain that to the listeners. Well, so Musto is the king <laughs> of throwing out remarkable, unknown, useless <laughs> facts that can be challenged because there's no way to prove them w w without doing something stupid. One day, it's just quiet in the studio. We're just sitting there, you know, watching the game. And Musto, you know, he puts his glasses down. And Listen, did you guys know that the distance from the top of, of the stand all the way to the midfield line is how, how long, Musto? Quarter of a mile. <laughs> <laughs> It just is. It's data and fact. Amazing. Where the away fans sit, it's right at the top. They made it higher and further away. It's a, lo a long way from this. Well, the kickoff spot is quarter of a mile. Amazing. It's literally <laughs> amazing. Along, you have to file that alongside... Dan Byrne, tallest fullback in the history of world football. <laughs> That's the one we had only this season. Okay, um, Newcastle United are like beans on toast. That is why people tune in for this podcast. I love it. Um, okay, Carl, I'm going to start back with you actually first up because before the Newcastle breaking news, we were going to talk a little bit about and share with our viewers and our listeners about how we all prepared not only for the show itself in terms of the pre-game, half-time, post-game, but also the watching of a game and how you guys watch a game in the studio and the differences that everyone goes through throughout the week. Kyle, talk us through how you prepare for Premier League mornings. Um, so it starts with our incredible team, uh, and there are many people that, that our, um, our viewers every weekend don't see. I mean, NBC sports soccer team is massive. We are a big family. And so it starts with getting these links to games from the prior week. 
And so what I do is I click on all of them and download first half, second half of every game and load up my laptop. So it's basically wallpapered with all these games and just one by one start getting rid of boxes by watching these games. And, and at the beginning of the week, because you don't know, or sorry, beginning of the season, um, because you, the, the teams have been refreshed, either a new manager, a couple of new players. I, I spend a lot of time during the beginning of the year trying to understand systems, tendencies, how do the new players impact the new side. So at the beginning of the year, it's really analytical. Watch the games, like really try to understand things. I would say as the season goes on, I'll, oh, I'll, Kyle, I'll sorry to interrupt you. Kyle, sorry, so sorry. Um, hey. Wow. Yeah. Oh, nice of you to join us, Dicker. <laughs> I've admit, I've missed something. <laughs> no. Scandalous. We just started. We just started. Fine. Lee Dixon has just joined the podcast one whole half an hour late. I knew scandalous. Hello. I tried to miss oh, Kyle's oh. bit, but obviously I failed. <laughs> Yeah, just tune back Arlo. in in about 20 minutes. I'll, I'll be done with this answer. We are just Arlo, talking talk about us, how we talk prepare. Us Arlo. Sorry, talk us through, Arlo, what Lee does or says if one of us is a minute late for a oh car. My oh, my God. Woe be tied. You're 30 seconds late with the case <laughs> coming out of a hotel. Dixon's and I quote, yeah. wouldn't have worked for George Graham this. You'd have been fine too. We yeah. <laughs> If you're on time, you're late. And if yeah. you're late, you're really late and you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, we, you're gonna, we're going to come to you last. We're going to have to sit through everybody else. So we're going to go back to Kmart because he was halfway through. Sorry. Sorry, Kmart. So you were talking about systems and what you're watching for. Yeah, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, always on time. Never late to anything. So just wanted to go for the record. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you'll start, start beginning of the season watching a lot of game tape, so to speak. And then um, as the season goes on, it kind of becomes more storyline based. So I'll spend more time watching interviews and reading articles. And so, so it kind of starts much more about watching the teams, understanding the teams. And that's always a part of it. But I think, I think the storylines start to drive things and, and, you know, what players are saying, what managers are saying, what agents are saying. And so I, I think as the season goes on, I'll, I'll start to bring in more reading articles and listening to interviews or podcasts and things like that and then it comes becomes kind of a 50 50 balance of you know watching the games that are coming up on the weekend because it's just so hard to get through all of them and then obviously just taking just just boatloads of notes copious notes <laughs> <laughs> if you change your approach <laughs> mate, um, since i saw you last <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, new, 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 uh, new system this upcoming season. <laughs> i would say kyle is the only person i've worked with in the history of my career who doesn't have a single piece of paper on the desk in front of him which is actually quite amazing to be honest environmentalist yeah, well, i want to give him a pinbex and he's like what what, what do i what, press what do i do no, Arlo, Arlo, we often get to 10 a.m can, can i get a pen we get on there for three hours can i get a friggin pen i mean unbelievable um came up what did you talk about how when you're actually watching the games in the studio you're, is that different from robbie yeah. and robbie well you know what's what's tough in the um in the studio is the 10 a.m. window. There's too many, too many games. I, all of them up on the board. I, oh, I just we'll, we'll have a word with the Premier League, see if they can change that for you. <laughs> yeah, if they could just do one during that window. There's just so many games. I get a little bit of anxiety. So we have a little section off in the side of the studio uh, called the living room. Um, and uh, I go into the living room and I sit and, and I watch one game. Um, sometimes not the game I'm supposed to watch, but just with, with what I started watching. Uh, can't watch all the games. There's so many. It's tough. Hey, Mark, just finally, why were you called the sponge in college? Oh. Um, well, this Don't is going to sound... Don't tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, there are, there are parts of my brain that don't that don't work very well, and we we figured that out over the years. And then there's one part of it that um, I've sharpened over the years, which it, it can take information and load it up, remember it for a short time period, and use it, and then it's gone. So I would miss some classes from time to time, and before the midterms or before the finals, I'd show up at the study group and I would just sit there and listen. Um, and they called me the sponge because I would just kind of steal all of the, the information that everyone was going to class and, and learning and then have enough in my head for the exam and have some sort of ability to go through it, that database, recite it, pass, 
C, C plus, sometimes a B. Um, <laughs> and, uh, just get through, just get through that way. The sponge. Doesn't surprise me one iota. Um, okay, interesting. Um, GLS, Grand So, how did oh. your work in preparation for a show? <clears throat> oh, well, well, I, I think, think the only, yeah, you only need to listen to me and Lee on commentary <laughs> to realise we do absolutely no research whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, again, you know, we watch so many games. I, th I think for us, when we're commentating, you're always waiting until you get the teams. So you can prepare as much as you want about the, the, what's happened in the previous weeks and which players look uh, are likely to be influential within a game. But ultimately, until that team is named an hour, just over an hour before the kickoff, um, you're a little bit sort of just waiting, getting ready, and then working out formations and quite often we'll have a chat with you guys in the studio we'll be watching warm-ups trying to see if, if a team's playing a particular formation um obviously there's the odd curveball when you get a couple of players that are named in the team and we have that that conversation trying to look for clues so it's a little bit of detective work really I think from from the commentary position um obviously the research pack and Kyle was talking about you know there's all the staff um all the guys that work behind the scenes to give us all the research that's invaluable for me because it's it's the sort of the con, um, condensed information that that you might need and gives you context to to the team and individual players um, that you're just about to to commentate on. Um, challenges are, I think, you know, we'd all agree probably. Um, we've already spoken about Newcastle. Newcastle's kit would be a challenge with the numbers on the back when you're when you're at St James's Park and you can't see anything. Um, and West Ham's. It's because oh. it's a quarter of a mile, Graham, from where you're sitting. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's quarter of a mile, the uh, the London Stadium at West Ham is at least a mile and a half from the top of, of the gantry to, Probably. to the pitch because it makes it so difficult. So um, there are there are definitely um, hurdles to overcome when you're commentating in those positions because you it, you do hesitate slightly when when you're trying to talk about a player and you can you can lose that flow a little bit but generally i think uh, yeah my I, I view my job as 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 trying to unpick the the game as it's happening and 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 therefore too much sort of information beforehand too many stats i think can certainly for me because i'm quite a simple fellow um can, can confuse what i think my job is which is to try and give <laughs> try and give people a bit more of the the overview of the whole game and we talk a lot about what you can't see because I think that sets the context of, of when something happens uh, at either end of the pitch because we're privileged enough to be able to watch Graham, the match. Uh, Graham, can I ask you real quick? You, you, when you guys do a three-man booth, um, I, I haven't done it much. I've done it a couple of times. I mean, that, that's a pretty unique thing. Um, do you, how, how do you and Lee, I've never asked you this, how, how do you guys prepare for that? Do you or like how do you kind of know who's coming in, who's not? Like how do you feel that out? Um, well, I basically, I just follow one simple rule. I just let Lee talk first. <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. Rule. I mean, we, 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 it's amazing, actually, because it shouldn't work, really. And some people might say it doesn't. But, but ultimately, we, we very quickly established a way of communicating with each other without even having to, to look at each other. It's just a simple movement of a microphone, somebody leaning forward. And obviously Arlo as well, trying to conduct the two of us and making sure that he gets um, gets his sort of the flow of, of what he needs to do in terms of commentating on the game. Um, it takes a lot of discipline, and and I think it took a bit of time for us to really work out the the the, the way the symmetry, I suppose, of how we work. But but it's great fun because I think we share a lot of sort of um, laughs during the game as well, and, and a lot of conversations between Lee and I about problems on the pitch that as two ex-players you you feel like you've got something you can talk about there a bit like you know if we were having that conversation with with you guys in the studio I don't know if you feel the same Lee yeah I mean th there is a, a a hard and set rule um when you're doing a, a three-man move and that is keep Arlo off the mic as long as possible that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it works and if we can tick that box then everyone's a winner you know it's like, well, that's it <laughs> Wait, Dicko, Dicko, one story, one story I, I want to hear. Did, was it you that, you, you, the opposite of this rule, didn't make it back to the booth booth for some reason and Arlo had to start a second half by himself? Or? I, was 
I was hoping somebody wouldn't bring that up. But <laughs> when when Pierre sent the, uh, the the subject of this week, how you prepare, I thought there'd be some numpty, and that would be you, <laughs> yeah. probably bring that up. So yeah, that was a that that was Southampton away, and um, I I had a dodgy lunch. Let's just put it that way. And, uh, <laughs> It was the funny thing was, always dodging. You just spoke like a footballer. That was Southampton away. We mean Southampton <laughs> away. You mean at St Mary? Where else would they be? <laughs> oh yeah. For a minute, then I thought I was playing in the game. Yeah, I wasn't. Wasn't. <laughs> yeah, Southampton. Well, I was. I was away. From, I was away. Something that was away. Well, the first half, funny. and I, you scribbled something on a piece of paper in front of me saying, got to go. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? Well, but obviously I can't ask him because we're live on air. And then he goes. I'll tell you. I'll <laughs> tell you the... from, from our executive producer, Pierre Moussa, I get, yeah, Lee's gone. And I said, no, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. So I'm down the Wait, it was in the middle of the game? It was in the middle of the game. It was the middle of the first half, Kyle. No, uh, Kyle. There was, was a kid at some point who kind of went, oh, it's Lee Dixon, and went to get an autograph. And he was dismissed very quickly. Oh, wow. And then I'm thinking, He's still what, having counseling what's going on? So I had to come on to it. And then there was a chance. There was, a, was it a goal? Was it really well, good? No, what, what happened, Arlo, was what, I went down the lazy to Pierre, and I said, Pierre, I've got to go. And, he, and then I went, <laughs> and I wrote down on the piece of paper to you that I had to go. Then I ran down, and St Mary's is one... one load of stairs that goes right down to the bottom so I just threw my headset off and I went down these stairs and when I got down the bottom of the stairs I turned the corner and there was a it was a guy it wasn't a young man it was a guy with a cup of tea and he he was walking towards me and he went Lee and I, I just went literally went like this knocked his tea out of his hand <laughs> oh you did I swear to man of the people he, he just went I went in I got back anyway I got back to the bottom of the stairs and I thought, right, so I sprinted all the way up to the top. And anyone who's done any sort of exercise will know there's a tiny bit of lag between doing exercise for the first time of the day and then the oxygen debt and then it catching up. So by the time I got to the top of the stairs, I sat back down, headphones on, quite, you know, <laughs> calm, just sat down, picked my mic up. Arlo looks at me like that and I go, just then Aguero had gone through one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper and he's in the middle of talking about that and then he's, then he, then he literally stopped talking. No, you, would have to do, you had to do the replay yourself, didn't yes, you? Because I, did I, replay, I just yeah. sat down and I got the mic and I picked it up. Then no, no oxygen debt whatsoever. <laughs> then it just started to kick in. I was like... <laughs> I, literally, I literally had to do the second replay with about two millimetres of oxygen in my lung and basically just went, look where I missed it. And that was it. But uh, Lee... Lee, can you just can you just explain to people what what you went down the lazy to Pierre means? Yeah, that does that sound right. What is a lazy? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, the 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 little button that we get to press that cuts off your mic, except to our uh, our glorious leader in in Stamford. <laughs> so okay. Only okay. he heard the words that I said to him, and he kind of got the picture straight away. <laughs> Him in, him in the whole control room, which is about 50 other people. Oh, <laughs> yeah, apart, apart from them, obviously. Brilliant, brilliant. Dicko, we'll just we'll stick with you though. Just just talk us through like how your week works. What do what do you do kind of by yourself before you get to the ground? Sort of as you you know, do you have a little regime like players often did before games to do before a common <laughs> Yeah, and I think that what the boys have said so far, there is there's a these vast differences in how the lads prepare. And we, me and Graham are fortunate enough, and Arlo have, have been in the studio at Stamford and prepared as if it is a um, a studio and gone in there. And it's you know that that gig is a tough gig. Being in the studio, not after knowing all the teams, know all the players on that instant. I mean, it is a tough gig, but it's completely different skill set to what we do on a regular basis and that's why the, I think the boys when they come over for the big weekend really enjoy that going into the commentary box and doing a different skill and we like going into the studio um, but it is totally different my prep for a, for a studio as, as the lads all know is, is, is obviously more detailed you've got to know more stuff on the spot 
And I tend to rely on, on the, in the COCOM, and I think Graham's similar, m too much information is, is, is not good for me. You know, if I go in with a, 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 the stack pack coming out my ears and I've read it all weekend and I'm right on everything like that, that's not why, you know, that's not my, that's not my show. That's, that's Arlo's for the stats. And um, maybe sometimes it helps to have that stat pack that we get is brilliant because it's just got enough in. And we've got another visitor by the look of it. <laughs> <laughs> is that Paul? Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you after. I'll be back soon, okay? Goodbye. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. Okay, back in a bit, okay? He's like, if Lee was late, why can't I be late? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, it's like Ted Invasion. That's all right. So, so the, the actual prep on a game is, we, we do an awful lot of traveling and um, that's probably the biggest headache from, from what we do is that, and, and obviously where, where we live, we live in the South, we live near London and nine times out of 10, we're Manchester or Liverpool every weekend so you kind of you know you're eight hours on the road every single weekend on a saturday and then you might be going to brighton on the sunday so you spend a lot of time in cars and i, I find the great that, thing for you lee the great thing for you is you get to do it with me you get to share a car with me which which everybody who d doesn't even know you know how painful that could be <laughs> <laughs> i'll um, tee you up yeah you know i i immediately get in the car and graham's normally in there and i straight on the headphones yeah i got a call coming in graham and i try and make that call last for four hours if I'm not talking to anybody i've even phoned musty i think once just to get away from <laughs> <laughs> the beauty is that, that doesn't bad. stop Graham. He just keeps talking to you. <laughs> so the, so the, the, the prep, you, you can do most of your prep in the car on the way there. So when I get there, the, the, the beauty of what we do is that we're, we're actually at the game. And so the lads will tell you there's nothing better than being at the game. And so you're not really doing anything prep-wise. You're basically just sucking it all in, the atmosphere, the sights, the smells, you know, you go to each different ground and they all smell differently. I know it sounds weird, but... You can be Southampton on certain days. Especially Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> you can kind of work out where you are. Did you make you know, it to the... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. No, let's not go there. Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you can kind of work out where you are by the, the smell of the ground, by the certain skylines and all that. And all of that is is invigorating it gets you in the mood it gets you ready for a premier league game and um and so you kind of that excitement that you get i get very um similar feelings to when i was playing i really i wake up on a saturday morning i can't wait to get to the stadium i can't wait to get to see graham and arlo sometimes and and the actual process is very similar to a game you you get nervous i get nervous going into a, going into um a commentary because you kind of don't want to make a mistake. You want to be prepared. You want to make sure that you know the teams. You make you want to make sure that, that you're just looking forward to a good game, an exciting game. And then, as Graham said, when the teams start coming through, you start then to sort of calm down and start. But the thing is, you can't. You have got no. You can prep for a studio because you can set the game up. That's what you're doing. You're setting the game up for people to then watch <coughs> it. What we're doing is we're involved in the game, so you can't. You don't know what's going to happen. Something could happen in minute one. Something can not happen until just before half time. The excitement levels, you don't know whether they're going to be up. You don't know whether you've got to, you know, enhance the game with your talking. It might be a really boring game. It might be brilliant and you don't have to say much. So that, that's the beauty of what we do is we're in the moment and in the game as opposed to being on the fringes of it like, like maybe the studio is a little bit at times. And it's interesting because having worked with Kyle, Robbie and Robbie for seven years and seen them week in, week out, all prepare and very, very differently. I think we've heard from Kyle. So it's interesting now to go to the two Robbies. Elsa, I'll start with you because I would probably suggest you are about as opposite to Kmart in yeah. terms of notes mm. as anyone in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, Bex, because um, obviously we'll try and ask you about your prep and, and, and working. And you worked with, you know, both Robbie's, Kyle, obviously Graham and Lee, when they come over, and we're all very different in, I would say, what we give, how we analyse, the way we research. Um, I think the, the common thread for us all would be the research part, which is like the foundation of every week. 
have to say, you know, chance just to say what a brilliant research group we've got, headed by a certain individual who I'm not going to give any credit, who's on us every moment of the week with a bad pronunciation and all a bad stat, but that is how exacting it is. And then backed up by VT and people in the control room, we kind of have everything we need at, 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 on our hands, really, so we can deliver in, in the right way. In some respects, I think the, the way we are on camera and the personalities we are tells you a little bit in the different way that we, we, um, we study and we prepare. So, you know, Musty's clinical, analytic. I mean, should have been a surgeon or a private investigator, Musty. You know, he, he wants detailed data. He's got the code. Yeah, be a private investigator, not a surgeon. (laughs) Hey, Mark's kind of inquisitive and and can be quite argumentative and strong-minded and challenging and in a different way, but doesn't write things down. I'm the opposite in that, you know, I'm a bit more gut and feeling and thinking what I would do in that situation or what players do, and that's the kind of area I go. So, you know, my my research would start on on a. Basically, on a Tuesday, I'm kind of looking back to the last weekend, what, what games were, looking at formations and teams. I build from a Tuesday through to, to a Saturday in terms of getting the right information. Now, I like to, to, to almost feel and understand what's going on in and around clubs, in and around players. So I link back to contacts I've got in the media, friends who are at football clubs, whether they're sometimes ambassadors now or coaches or in the academy can sometimes just give you a little steer on things that, that might be happening. Um, I, I try and get as much access to the shows that go on in, in the UK to, to you know understand what they're saying about players, like the match of the days and, and the football focuses and, and the Sky Sports and obviously <laughs> Sky Sports News on NBC is a, a great uh, avenue for us. But in, in many respects, you know, I talk, listen to, to mm-hmm. Lee and Graham talk about you know when they're at, at the stadium, the game. The story's almost there for them. It's for them to narrate the story. The story's going to unfold. For us, it's about setting things up, half-time and, and, and the end of the game. And because we're very different, I always feel my, my thing's a bit more heart and emotion. And I think somebody, in, when I first started off, said to me, always think of a newspaper headline. Give somebody a headline so that they can understand, they can take away, they can go down the pub and talk to the mate. So... You know, I'm, I'm the, coming with the sexy Stoke. So Mark Hughes is at Stoke City. He's got Bojan. He's got Anatovic. He's got Shakiri. You know, all of a sudden, as I'm doing my research and writing a little bit about Stoke, I'm going, oh, Stoke are a bit sexy now, aren't they? They've got something to them. So it's my kind of way of putting it across. You know, I think we were at Old Trafford 18 months ago. I said to Olo, he asked us about Jose Mourinho. I said, could be brilliant or he could be, he could be sacked by Christmas. He went just in the last week of December. That's me saying... Part of me saying, listen, I know with Jose, he can be brilliant, but it can go badly very quickly. And in the space of two or three weeks, he can go from sort of top man to toxic. And it, and it did, and it, and it went. And so I kind of throw those big kind of statements out, often with facts and stats behind them, whereas Musty's more, more going to tell me how many times he's done this, how many times he's played there, how many crosses he's had, and all that detail to get his opinion. I'm going to go on what I feel, what I would see, what, what's happening on the pitch, and... That's the bit that probably we, the advantage the guys have in the UK is they're there at the games. You get that feeling, that little bit, that so much more. So when we go to the UK and we, we get a chance to do the commentaries, that's the bit that is so much in, more enjoyable because you can feel, you actually get a feel of, of what's going out, out on the pitch, not a, a, a um, screen that's thousands of miles away. That you have to try, that's the skill then, to try and put yourself in that position with the, with the crowd, with the pressures, with the situation of the game and try and let our viewers understand what's going on. You're definitely the most romantic of the two Robbies and that's why we call you Romantic Robbie and we call Musty Data and Fact Musty. Musty, talk Robot, to Robot you. Robbie, yeah. Talk to you <laughs> how you get ready for a show. Okay, so like Rob, it starts on a Tuesday. Um, and what I do, and I can show you one of them. So again, it's all on the stat pack and the stat pack comes out on the Thursday. So Tuesday, I'll have a cover sheet to the stat pack because I want, I want to look down at any time and have key information or key points I want to make right there in front of me. I don't want to be going through bits of paper to try and find something. So I'll do a top sheet. But you will. Yeah, I'll do that too. Um, so, 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 Tuesday, so Tuesday is about, so of course, we'll have three games Saturday, two games Sunday, one game Monday, six games. 
So it's not a lot, including, you know, it's, not including the games that aren't on NBCSN or NBC. So not including. Yeah, them. they're the ones that we're going to focus mainly on. So that's mm -hmm. like you know that's 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 a lot of stuff to think about. So I'll do a cover sheet, and I'll I'll from the weekend on the Tuesday I'll write down how every team played that I've got next weekend. That's how it starts. So if I've so from the weekend ready for the next weekend, and that cover sheet looks like this, and it's just a, basically it's just. I've got two fields, it's split down the middle, and I'll put the teams there, and I'll start off on Tuesday by putting in what they did in the last game, what their formation was. So when we go, like the guys said, when we speak to the guys before a game, you know, I know what they did last time, what he played on the right-hand side, Asperi Cueta played right back, uh, Jorginho played, Hudson Agoura was on the right-hand side, so I kind of do that straight away. Now, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we'll be watching games. Me and Robbie will do a um, podcast, in the Euro podcast, and we, we've tracked the Premier League team. So we watch games Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thursday, the stat pack comes out. So Thursday, uh, late afternoon, <clears throat> then I start going through the stat pack, picking out stuff to write at the top part. So the top part is, is just stuff that I've picked out, important stats or, and, and key things that I think is important, which have been gained through the week, watching news, listening to podcasts, watching the European games, and just trying to figure out different angles on games that, that are hopefully somewhat interesting. Um, Do you keep them, course, Robbie? Yeah. Yeah. yeah got, well, Have I you got, got like a filing cabinet full of them? Right, yeah, that's right there. There it is. Right there. There you go. That we've talked about for so many years. Apologies to people who are listening to this broadcast, by the way, rather than watching it. Uh, let's just tell you that Musty is sitting in front of a filing cabinet and he has just shown us all his cover sheet, which does look very impressive, Musty. And he's not wearing yeah. any clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, the game, the game goes on. So, this, so we do this for, well, I do this for the six games um, by... You know, and then you've got press conferences. So we haven't mentioned that yet, but we do, we're lucky enough to get the feed of all the press conferences of all the managers going into Premier League weekends. I think they are maybe the most important part of how I prep for a weekend. And the guys talked about doing a game. It's a little different. They can focus on one game or if the guys are doing two games over a weekend, really get into that. We got to get little bits from different managers of all the, the 12 teams that we'll be looking at. So that comes through, they come through Thursday night and Friday night. So that's, that's the last bit to fill in you know, what might be interesting going up to the game. Musa, the game let me goes, ask you a question real quick. About in the studio, sometimes you, you furiously erase uh, parts of that sheet and you seem very angry about it. Okay, um, what is that about? Well, I don't... Uh, during the game, I'll, I'll erase... We call it something different, which is not very appropriate. Um, but, yeah, we... we uh, so, so, this, so the game kicks off and I have... And then, of course, we talk to the guys and we figure out what the system is. So it takes five yeah. minutes. We've got... We have all the banks of uh, monitors behind us, and we have a tactical camera. Again, that's something that's so brilliant for us. The guys get, get that view from being in the stadium. So from a tactical camera, you can figure out what's going on, and that's what I'm doing. Well, he's not playing there, and I'll, and I'll, I'll erase that player. And, and, and that, takes, that takes a few minutes to do that. And then just with the game, I'm making note of substitutions, and the bottom part is about my observations from the game. So points I want to make, data and fact about goal scorers and all that kind of stuff. So, so at the end of the game, it looks like that completed. And then, you know, these bits at the bottom is what, you know, you might ask us, Rebecca, what do you want to talk about or what was the headlines? You know, I am not the sponge. I'm more of a blimmin' rock or Swiss cheese in my head. So I have, to write, I have to write everything down so I don't forget things. I remember the first guy I worked with on TV said to me, never come out of a show saying, I wish I would have said that. So with my memory, I have to write things down. It goes at the bottom, and that's where, you know, we'll, we'll get into our conversations, Rebecca. So it's, I mean, again, we, we have a, an amazing tape room that does all the editing for us as well during the game that we can pull out features and things like that. But I mean, listen, I could talk forever. There's so much that goes into it and the help that we get, um, but that's just how I do it with my, with my game pack split up and a cover sheet so I can get to stuff because I can't remember things like Kyle can. And Musty, just before we get to Arlo, go on Arlo, Arlo's no, bit No, 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 absolutely, because I was going to turn it on you, because I mean, oh. I, my system is very well documented, I'm happy to talk about it, you know, at the end, but we, we don't generally hear from you in your preparation, because you're yeah. running the entire show, but why don't you follow up Musty, and then give us, a, give us an idea about your prep? Uh, yeah, okay, so just quickly Musty, on a scale of one to ten, how important would you say your pencil is? <laughs> ten. Yeah. <laughs> 
mean, Vex, Vex, talk, talk a little bit about how when Musty loses a pencil. Someone I mean, and we're not talking a normal, regular pencil, guys. We're talking, have you got it, Musty? Of course he's got it. Oh, no. Of course he's got it. Kyle, he's the yeah, yeah. Kyle have, you, have you got any lead in your pencil, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> Here he is, Musty's got a pencil. Now, this pencil has, now, is it the same pencil from 2013, Musty? No, I, I got that. Uh, it's just... Becky Lowe. <laughs> Beautiful. So that's what I erase uh, with all the never time. Guess what I found in my bag, by the way. You got stolen one of the pencils. It's one of Musty's oh. pencils. That's a oh, disgrace. Oh, that's a joke. I found it in my bag. That's a joke. That's a prize. <laughs> that's a joke, mate. Jokes, jokes. Yeah, so um, that's it. That's a pencil. Yeah, Musty and his pencil, very important. How has Musto not gotten a, a, a sponsorship? I mean, it's just, it's, it's... No. Oh, there's, a, there's, there's definitely a pencil Always out there. Always thinking of money, them, Always thinking of money. <laughs> Sure. And people don't know this as well. Is Musto is an incredible artist as well. Can draw remarkable. He can draw a motorcycle for you, a matchbook. Those are the only two things he can draw. <laughs> Correct. So oh gosh. Okay. Too many in jokes. Um, okay. So my preparation, Arlo, is kind of it's it's slightly less structured in that I feel like it's um, I'm always listening to Talk Sport Radio. I mean, I worked there 20 years ago, so I've always had more of an affiliation to it and I also think as good as Radio 5 Live is, which actually I also work for of course, um, it, it, Radio 5 Live is so much more news and other sports and I, you know all I care about is football so talk sport as we know is football, football, football. So I have that on in the car wherever I drive, I have that as long as I'm not with Teddy who's like uh, can I get the Disney songs on? So if I'm not with Teddy I'm talk sport in the house. Who's Georgie Bingham mum? <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's wall to wall the whole time no matter what hour of the day it is, always has to be. Um, because, of course, we don't have Sky Sports News more than just for a few hours, and those few hours are not great with my schedule. So, all the time. So, just kind of through a process of constantly listening, um, reading the clips that come. No one's mentioned those, but the clips that come every day. We get an email every day from research, which has sometimes about anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half or two hours of reading from all the daily newspapers and all the different stories. And I either read them that night or I save them up and I read them all on a Thursday. Um, because I know most of the stories as, as the day as the days go on, but just reading them, just for me, I'm, my system is very much about reading, reading, soaking things in, and that's how you seem to remember facts as well as listening. Um, so, I do, so I do that. Those are my two things I always do. Um, and then the actual preparation will start in terms of what I have on my desk will be on a Thursday when Teddy's at preschool on Thursday morning, and I'll start doing similar to Musto's cover sheets for every game that we're doing, which is six games every weekend. Um, and then I also, once I've got the stat pack, I do similar to Musty, I go through it and I'm looking for slightly different things than Musty. I'm looking for a mixture between storylines and stats, but then I also go elsewhere and try to find, sometimes I'll literally just Google a player or Google a team and get the latest news and you might just get an interesting tidbit. And so much of my job, Arlo, as you know, because you've done it, is throwing to breaks and coming out of breaks. Mm. And I'm sort of constantly trying to find something interesting to try and throw to break with, because otherwise it's, you can just say, and you know, we'll be back with the warm-ups next. I want to try and give the audience just something, add a nugget in somewhere along the way, if I possibly can. Um, but I think generally, I just kind of, I live it really. And on a Friday, I do, I finish all my written notes and then I read every, every clip I've not read. I go through all the newspapers. I read the Telegraph and the Times every day sports section um and sit on a plane listening to talk sport i mean that's basically it's kind of every single day seven days a week is how mm. i try to kind of by osmosis soak in as much as possible and i'm just lucky i have a photographic memory and i have a very good memory things do stick um but i do forget them very quickly so for example if robbie earl has an amazing memory long term so you'll say robbie what happened in like when tottenham played man united two seasons ago and he'll literally tell you the game i can't tell you what happened mm. last weekend that's the problem. I can tell you on the day everything about that game. Just cannot talk about last weekend at all. So it's kind of like a interesting how different everybody is. But yeah, so it's kind of a seven day, twenty four seven constant preparation. <laughs> the one part of the preparation I miss the most is makeup room chats, which are seventy five percent friends catching up um, and twenty five percent okay. We're getting ready to do a show massive important part of the weekend preparation and also the robbie's a laugh and and graham and lee i don't know if you noticed this when you come into nbc at 4 a.m 
and all the lights are out and it's dark and you come down the hallway and Angelo says hello to you and you're walking down, you get a coffee. Before you even turn the corner, um, you, you, you hear Beck's, her, it's a cackle, it's a laugh. Yeah. That not many people have actually heard the Beck's belly laugh, but you can hear it from, from a quarter of a mile away. Um, and that's when you know, like, all right, like we're here, the day is going to start. You come around the corner and Bex is just with her curls, just having a blast. Well, listening to talk sports is amazing. I've recently learned of a way that we can measure if you can hear it a quarter of a mile away. <laughs> Bex, up you go, top of the away end at St. James's. We'll be on the halfway line. Exactly. We're going to test this. Stay in fact. tell you a joke. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff, boys. Arlo, anything you want to add about your preparation that maybe isn't documented? Anything you do new or different or have you changed anything? It, again, it starts on Tuesday. I mean, I'll just show you quickly here. I mean, I put these on, on uh, Twitter or, uh, or uh, Insta every week. That's the last game that we did. Uh, the Manchester Derby. And it's just a, a series of stickers. You know, generally we're doing two games every weekend. My, fo my focus all week is on four teams. With, with, with a little, looking a little bit at what everybody else is doing, but it's very much focused on four teams. And of course, four teams have 25 players each. So that's 100 players. So you've got to know everything about every player. So and I was thinking earlier on, say it's Liverpool, and say Curtis Jones come off, comes off the bench. It's not about giving every statistic possible about Curtis Jones, but how many Premier League appearances has he made? Has he ever scored a senior goal? Did he play in a League Cup tie earlier this season? Has he played, you know, many games the under-23s? Has he played England under-21? It's just about sort of educating people that maybe don't know, and I don't know at the start of the week sometimes, exactly what the story is for this player who probably doesn't even make the 18. But one Arlo, day, Arlo. Will, and then he'll come off the bench and he'll score, and I've got to be ready for it. Arlo, it's fair, it's fair to say that you're obviously very protective of your stickers on match day. Mm. And I can't remember, and correct me if you've told this story, but have you told the Fulham story? No, I don't think so. Not in public, no. So um, quickly tell him the Fulham well, Graham, story. Graham, was it you or, or was it you, Lee? It must have been Graham on. on it was me. It was Lee. So just tell it's a windy day, and you will all know Craven Cottage. The stands aren't that high, so when the wind whips around, you can feel it at any part in the ground. Go to other stadiums, and you can't feel it once you're in because we're all in Anyway, I treat these things like, you know, I should have security guards for them because I'm very protective. This is the story of the game. This has everything that I need in the game. So at halftime, I think it was against Spurs, perhaps, or maybe Chelsea. And our uh, esteemed leader, uh, Lee mentioned, Pierre Moussa, is, is with us on a site visit. He's with us for the weekend, morale-boosting visits, got some meetings in the week, takes us out for a nice dinner, but comes to the games as well. So halftime, I put this down on the desk. And I start chatting to Pierre, start chatting to Lee. Suddenly, the biggest gust of wind off the ground. And this just tumbles off the gantry down <laughs> into the stand below. And I think I just looked at Lee kind of like... <laughs> I was he looked to at me like, like, what? <laughs> what do I do? We've got another half. It's middle, middle. What's going to happen? So Pierre said, leave it to me. So I kind of, I'm doing, uh, getting the old, the old paper bag, breathing into the paper bag. <laughs> Lee sort of giving me a massage. You'll be all right, mate. You can do this. You can do this. <laughs> and Pierre, about 10 minutes later, just before kickoff, came back and said, there you go, bud. Here it is. <laughs> Did he punch a guy with a cup of tea for it? <laughs> there was, he went Child. And Child. There, was, there was a young, young lad who had it. And he's like, oh, this is great. What, what a souvenir of, of my first ever Fulham game or something. And Pierre oh. said, Listen, kid, um, we need that for the second half. <laughs> and, and managed to negotiate and bring it back up. And I was, I'll be forever grateful for Pierre for getting it. And that poor kid, actually thinking about it, we should have probably got his name and address and I could have sent it him in the mail afterwards, couldn't I? But, I? but I have got, I've collected every single one. There's a complete set of every game I've ever done, except one which I left in the Titanic Hotel. Um, in Liverpool. I, it was Leicester against Arsenal from this season and I rang the hotel on Monday. There was no recollection, no, nothing. It just been probably thrown away. What's this? What's this crap? And just been thrown in the bin, you know. And, and that, if you've ever seen the Frasier episode, when he goes, he gets his tape from his show that day and he goes to his cupboard and he goes to put his tape in and he realises there's one missing at the top and he keeps him awake for about three weeks. Well, you can just make another one, Arlo, can't you? Killing me. You can just make another one. You've got all the stickers somewhere. On it doesn't take, take long, probably. Won't have been the one. <laughs> <laughs>
That's brilliant. I can't That's... wait. Can we do it? Can we do a Zoom next week where it's just Arlo and Robbie comparing filing cabinets and <laughs> they can just do the whole hour? Amazing. Brilliant. I love it. Guys, thank you so much as ever. It's lovely to see all your friendly faces. I hope you're all keeping healthy and well and all your families are as well. I know that um, all of you send everyone here in the United States watching and listening to this your best wishes and your love um, this has been the Premier League on NBC podcast you can get it wherever you get your podcast it's also available on the NBC Sports YouTube channel so gentlemen until next week sending you lots of love bye everyone bye back everybody bye guys bye bye the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.